this is what we're doing here, okay? I run a newsletter. It's called The National Briefing. It's a music industry trade publication. You can all go check it out, nationalbriefing.com. And I also host a podcast. And my guest today, Brady Sadler, runs a podcasting company that creates uh, literally the biggest music industry or music podcasts in the world. Disgraceland is consistently in the top 10 most listened to music podcasts in the world. Millions of downloads, 150 countries plus. He's got several other podcasts. Shred with Shifty. Are there any guitar players in here? No guitar players in a Berkeley class? That's in right there. Okay. Um, so he's doing a podcast right now with the lead guitarist of the Foo Fighters. And he works with some of the biggest people in the world, in the podcasting space. So we, th we thought, how meta would it be if we came into Berkeley and did a live podcast with the king of podcasts? He's also written a book right here, Collaboration is King, which is a great read, actually, especially if you're kind of in college doing the college thing, figuring out how to collaborate with other people. What have I left out about you, Brady? There's you so much to absolutely say. Absolutely everything. everything. I don't know what we're going to talk about now. That was, I, we, we, that was we've said it all. Okay, really quickly, um, anyone in this room, does anybody have a podcast or host a podcast? That's awesome. We've got one right here. Um, does anybody want to host a podcast? We've got some people in the back. I'm seeing I'm seeing you in the red shirt. I'm seeing you over here as a maybe want to host podcast. We were just talking about this at coffee right before we came in here, which was I feel like college is the best time to start a podcast. I wish I started my podcast in college. Sell these kids. We've got like 50 kids here. Why start a podcast now? Why is now the right time to do it? I think anytime you can share your thoughts, just explore what you're interested in, talk to other people, and document it, it's a good thing. You're going to have it, if nothing else, for yourself as a record of what you were interested in, who you got to meet, and you'll learn some things along the way. Uh, I did a podcast at my marketing agency in 2009. I wished I had kept it going because that was a time when there were far fewer podcasts, and I would have been able to build that audience. But even without that, I did learn a lot. I had a lot of great experiences, and I had some foundational knowledge of the medium, which served me ultimately when I did get into it. So I think whether it's a podcast or something on you know, YouTube or even just creating some social handles around a topic of interest and learning how to engage with people and how to build a community, these are skills that are really useful in so many different ways and walks of life that I think podcasting is one that yeah definitely serves all of that and so i would encourage you if, if you're at all interested in it try it you don't have to keep doing it. there's you know a lot of people get discouraged by feeling like oh if they don't turn it into some massive thing or if they don't continue it indefinitely that it's a failure that's not true that's a lie don't believe that you can do one and if you don't like it stop you can do 10 experimenting i think is really key to find what draws you what creates energy and that's what you need to have no matter what you do for your career for your passions you need to find that energy so if you're interested test it out i think podcasting too is a great practice of doing the podcast for the podcast sake if you yep. start a podcast you will be able to network from it by interviewing guests if that's your format but also i think public speaking from hosting over 150 plus episodes of my podcast i've noticed that i've become a much better public speaker and just constantly talking to people and being on the air etc it makes a big difference. So, okay, so how would you start a podcast? If you're a Berkeley student and you go, this is my passion, podcasting, I'm ready to start, how would you do it? 
I would pick your topic, try to have a specific focus, and try to have a specific audience in mind. So think about who you would ideally be creating this podcast and these conversations for. And it might be yourself, but what are you interested in getting out of it? And have that specific lens to then decide what's the subject of each episode, who are you going to try to seek out to talk to. The technical side of it, you can Google that and find it very fast. There's Berkeley students. Plenty they of tools. They, they, out they there. can record audio. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, the beauty is, you know, the challenge is not the tools. I think it's really just about what, what are you most interested in creating conversation and community around and, uh, and go for it. Do you need video? Should you have video today? This is a big debate in the podcast space. You know, is podcasting the purists will say it's audio. Video with YouTube is a huge opportunity to reach more people. And so I think, you know, if you want to flip on your camera and you're comfortable with that, great. You have another outlet for distribution. If you don't and you just want to do the audio, that's cool too. I really think that putting too many rules around it to start with, especially if you're just experimenting, you know, is only going to hinder you. And then you know, network with other people who are in the space. Right here in Boston, we have the PRX Podcast Garage, and that's an incredible world-class resource of uh, people who teach and who uh, connect around podcasting. So, you know, those things are all around you. You just have to seek them out. I always find the biggest thing that stops people from starting a podcast is they go, oh, they're waiting for the perfect episode or the perfect uh, vision of what their podcast could be. And my advice is always, I'm just like, start the podcast. Like, my first podcast was horrible. My first episode, I listened back, I cringe. Like, how do you get someone over the ledge to really start the podcast if it's something that they want to do? You know, we were talking about this before the class. Uh, fear and procrastination do not go away. So you have to recognize that, see it, and say, all right, I'm going to do it anyway. That's going to be there. It's riding shotgun, but I'm not going to let it stop me. And I think it's a, it's a mentality. And, um, and then also just kind of zooming out and realizing that the stakes are not that high. You know, let's be honest. You know, that we're... we're going to create this thing and maybe no one will hear it, maybe some people, maybe eventually it'll be a hit podcast and a lot of people will go back, but by that point, you'll have gotten a lot better. And as long as you're true to your values and you're being a good person, whatever that means to you, I think you're gonna be fine. Just, you gotta really put things in perspective and don't think that people don't have fear and anxiety and that because you do, you shouldn't do it. Everybody has that. I also think too that when you're starting your podcast, you get 10 listeners, 20 listeners, you break 100 you know, weekly listeners, 200, and that's, those feel like big milestones. Your podcast is still going to be pretty small, but I always like to think at those moments, you know, if you had a room of 100 people or 50 people like right now or, 100, or you know, 200 people, that would have been a successful event, and you were just able to reach all those people. So I think social media kind of warps your perception of what makes something successful because if you're not getting millions of views, it's not successful, but not true. Like 200 views of your students – could make an insanely successful podcast. That's right. If, you, if there's a specific niche that you're going after, then 200, even 50, might be all you need. Um, there's this sort of famous I idea out there um, in the, the world of business and marketing and, and uh, being an artist, which is a thousand true fans. Has anybody heard of this? Where, Kevin Kelly. Yeah. If you've never read this thing, you should Google a thousand true fans. And read in, and I'll let you explain it. Yeah, I mean, simply, it's it's the idea that if you have a thousand people who will buy every project you put out, who will come to see your show every time you're in town, um, who will be your patron, then you can have a career indefinitely and actually do pretty well. Uh, so kind of, again, puts things in, in perspective. Other thing, the flip side of just 
creating the kind of podcast that we're doing now is if you have an idea for something that's more narrative based, that's high production value, there's nothing wrong with part time spending months and months on one episode if it's what serves that goal that you have in mind. So I think the big takeaway from all that is there are no rules to how to create in audio in podcasting, just like in music, there are no rules to how you can do that. In fact, the more often you break the rules or you connect things that maybe don't conventionally go together, the more like you are to create something that's going to uh, give you that energy and going to connect you with the people you want to. Okay, so right now your company Double Elvis is working on a podcast with Chris Shiflett, the guitar player for the Foo Fighters, and I feel like these clips have been going viral. Like the interviews that he's doing are getting millions of views on YouTube. They're all over my TikTok. It seems like you had a partnership with Premier Guitar to help promote it. And if you don't know, Chris Chris Shiflett, the show is called Shred with Shifty, and he's interviewing like the guitar player from Rush and Richie Sambora from Bon Jovi and Brad Paisley and all these guitar legends. And he's teaching them one solo. So how did you guys get involved into this podcast? What does it look like in that sense when you're building a guitar uh, podcast from the ground up? And what does that partnership look like with a freaking Foo Fighter? We, we got introduced through a mutual friend who I had known for many years and had not actually worked on a project with. But, you know, there are people that you bump into in life that you just gravitate towards and you really like and you want to keep in touch. And I think that, that's a, a lesson as well, just following up and every once in a while checking in and seeing how you can be helpful, even if it's someone who's a lot further along in their career than you are. You never know. Um, I know your professor, Ralph, has explained and told you some of those stories of how he was able to do that and just um, step up and, and try to be helpful. And in this case, Chris, uh, this other Chris introduced us to Chris Shiflett and he laid out this vision and he said, you know, I'm a guitar fan first. Uh, and I go on YouTube just like all guitar fans and try to learn different solos. And invariably, I find that they're wrong. They're just not the right notes, and uh, they're not— He knows uh, back there, right? The only guitar player in this room. Yeah, he, he's smiling. He knows right there. So he said, you know, I thought about that and said, well, I kind of know some of these people who actually wrote the solos and played the solos. What if I just went to the source, went to them, and asked them to teach it to me, and I captured it so everybody else could hear it, and finally there would be the solo of record sort of uh, education on YouTube that I wanted. And uh, I think that's a, a good example of creating something around an interest of your own. Even if you're that accomplished and a Hall of Fame, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame guitar player, you know, he had a need that he saw, and he went out and, and created it. So we got together, we built the concept, and we went out to find partners to get the distribution and some financing for it. And we found uh, two partners, one in volume.com, which is a live streaming and video content site focused on music. And uh, this was gonna be a video podcast and a video and audio. As Chris sits down virtually through Zoom with famous guitar players, as Zach said, and they teach him the solo. But it's also about storytelling. They tell him what was going on in the room. How did they come up with it? Who else were they collaborating with at the time? How do they feel about it now? Do they even remember it? Some Many of them don't. Later. Like Brad Paisley was like, I don't even remember how I played this. Yeah. He had to like relearn it. Right. So it, it's creating so much value on so many different levels. And um, for volume, they wanted to try and bring more people into the platform. And this was a great tool for them to do that. And then Premier Guitar came on board. And of course, they have a built-in audience of people who would be interested in this content. And it really just became a nice collaboration between all different parties. 
were you worried with it because Chris's audio and video is you know looks very professional, yeah. but sometimes he tunes in with these legendary guitar players, and it, the audio and video is like a little rough, even though the quality of the content's very high. Yeah. Was that a discussion that you guys had? about whether that was going to bother you or if you were going to care or if you were going to say, let's just make it as easy as possible and the content is still going to be really good even if the audio and video maybe isn't the best. Right, yeah, I think it's the latter. Just the dynamic between those two, the uniqueness of, of what the content is and the stature of the artist that he's connecting with is what kind of takes the day. And sometimes you just deal with those technical challenges that you have. And ideally, you know, even in this case, we're doing season one, Maybe we get to season two and we have enough success to where the financing allows us to have them in the same room and we don't have to worry about that technical challenge. But we didn't let that stop us from doing it. From doing the idea and just right. getting it out there. It doesn't have to be perfect. Right. It's just people are loving it and that's what really counts. How do you, you wrote this book right here, Collaboration is King, which is all about brand partnerships and how when you're marketing something, when you're building a career, the best thing to do is to build it with other people and to bring in other partners and figure out other ways to align yourself. And I feel like that's a great message for students as well who could be thinking about this right now. How do you align with other students or how, or if you're going out to get a job, you know, the first job you do is going to say a lot about your brand. And I also think that the big thing about college is you're building your brand of who you are as an executive or a musician or an artist. Like the number one thing I start a conversation with if I'm talking to a musician sometimes is I'll be like, Oh, and I went to Berkeley or whatever. And immediately, it says you're part of a brand that says, oh, this guy probably doesn't suck. This guy probably has a little bit of music acumen. What, if you were a student right now, how would you be thinking about building your brand as a student, going past that as to a, you know, building a brand as a professional, and what would you be doing now to build brand partnerships? I think if I was a student right now, I would find something that I can create content or experiences around. So we talked about this a little bit earlier, whether it's podcast or any other medium, just creating something around your interest area and then sharing it is going to attract other like-minded people who have similar interests. And you just don't know what that's going to lead to. Um, that could also be you decide to host meetups or create a club. Um, it could be any number of you're going to you know, host a showcase. You're going to, you know, there's actually a, um, a former Berkeley student, Ashley Alexander, who um, was a performer music business major but also was a singer songwriter and I was managing her after college for a minute and I remember she was going to move to LA and she said I don't know anyone in LA like what am I gonna do and we came up with this idea for her to host a showcase in LA she was like wow who am I to go to LA and then host a showcase like well all you need is a venue and one you know artist to bring and they bring a few friends and the next thing you know she's hosting this hello la shindy week after week after week and it became a real key to her building community now she i believe is head of uh a and r for division of hypnosis the massive music publishing company and um it started from her just deciding around this passion of bringing people together so I think I would start doing that kind of thing here today in school with such an amazing, rich uh, experience happening around you already. Um, you know, there's a lot of opportunity to do that. As far as uh, your brand, your brand kind of becomes that thing that you're holding the flag for, that you're gathering people around for. And hopefully your brand becomes being generous in that work by connecting people. Um, there are all these ripple effects that happen that, um, lead to great things, but also just feel great. And are, you know, it's a good thing to do in the world. That's the biggest thing that I look back on my time at Berkeley and, I, and if I were to do it over again, I feel like I did a lot of things right, but 
I would have hosted more showcases. Yeah. And I feel like I would have gone into a band too. Like I would have hosted more jam sessions or, or whatever. I would have had like a show at the calf and I would have had like four bands play and, st- and do a showcase instead of like one band playing the whole night. Like that's what I would have done. Yeah. I, the number of times that I've hosted things that whether it's, you know, bands or panel discussions or interviews or other things that have led to things I didn't expect. I mean, every time, every time you do it, that happens. So you're sort of creating a little bit of magic and serendipity and, um, you know, that's, it's hugely valuable. So, but do it around the thing that you really love because it'll be hard. There'll be parts of it that you get hung up on. There'll be events where very few people show up, but if you really love the thing and you're getting energy from it, um, you know, keep it up. That'll be the thing that pulls you in to do more of it. And if you do it and you realize you didn't and it just takes all the energy out of you, well, then that's something not to do, which is a cliche, but it's also important to know what you don't want to do to figure out ultimately where you, you want to get to. Um, but this collaboration idea was, is really around the, this definition of creativity that I found from this old poet named William Plomer. And he said, creativity is the ability to connect the seemingly unconnected. So the ability to connect the seemingly unconnected, there's, there's a lot to kind of unpack in there, but I think that's when you get that little spark of magic, when you, you see something, it's like, oh yeah, that didn't, there's a little dissonance, it's like it didn't feel like it should work, but wow, that's exciting. Um, that, that really struck me and has been something I've carried. Yeah. You wrote too in the book, something that I thought was interesting, which is earlier in your career, you would go into these meetings with big executives and CEOs and you would almost hide the music, your music background, or you wouldn't, you maybe wouldn't lean into it. And then you realize that once you start to lean into your passion for music and your musical background, it started to create connections with executives or it started to open different doors. I don't want to speak for you, but what's that decision? Cause I, I remember going into different rooms or even sometimes I'll go into music business rooms and I'll hide the fact that, you know, I have a degree in guitar performance or whatever it is. But then sometimes when I bring it up, it's like a cool talking point or it's hip. How do, where's the balance there? And you know, if you don't go into music after college, which a lot of people at Berkeley don't, how would you balance that relationship? I think it's about being honest with who you are and then bringing that into as many interactions as you can and realizing that it might not gel with everybody and that's okay, uh, but it will really gel. It will really create connection with some people and um, that, you know, in the, in the business settings that, that Zach's talking about, I was putting on a persona a bit that I thought, you know, needed to be more buttoned up and needed to present in a certain way. And then, you know, I realized that if I shared what I was most passionate about, the best part of me was going to come out, the energy, they were going to feel that, and the right people were going to respond to that. And sure enough, we're talking about something as universal and magical as music, which everyone here obviously loves and feels, and that's probably a big reason why you're in the room. Um, A lot of people feel the same way. So in those meetings, when I would talk about the concert I went to over the weekend or this little side hustle that I had putting artists and brands together, the next thing you know, that was actually finding its way into the core business. And these brands are saying, well, can we bring an artist to our next event? And I'm like, well, this isn't a music company or a creative quote unquote company. It's a more traditional finance company or healthcare company, but they want to attract people. They want to create, you know, real relationships and connections and energy. And so music can find its way into almost anything. But yeah, bringing that and sort of shedding this idea that I had to show up a certain way was, uh, big, big growing sort of uh, 
point. Big opportunity to I love that. evolve. Okay, we're going to have a Q&A in a little bit, so keep thinking about questions. Um, but I want to ask you, so you're the found, co-founder and CEO of Double Elvis. You started with Jake Brennan, who hosts one of the biggest music podcasts in the, the most world. downloaded. The most music downloaded podcast music podcast in the world. In the world. Yes. Millions and millions of downloads. I wanted to ask, when you started the company, did you make a business plan or did you kind of just wing it? So Jake had the idea. He, he and I had met back to kind of you never know where the people that you meet uh, might lead. Uh, he and I had met and we ended up working together through a partnership at my marketing agency and we were trying to connect artists and brands and, and create um, music strategies for brands and we had some success ultimately um, he moved on I moved on and we reconnected and he told me about this podcast that he was creating Disgraceland and it's one of those stories like I was sharing with you earlier where six months in the basement no one had heard anything he's just working to try and create his vision and uh, as soon as I heard it, I had already liked him. I already knew we collaborated well together and that he was someone I wanted to work with because I had that experience with him. But then I heard this and I just thought, wow, this is like nothing I'd ever heard. And it's very special. And then together we met uh, another person who was a pioneer in podcasting that happened to be here in Boston. And he was very encouraging in terms of our collective skill sets and what we could create and we're going back about six years ago now. And so podcasting had not grown anywhere near where it is today. It was in its um, relative infancy, and even though it had been around for 15, 20 years prior. And um, this guy just painted a picture of how we could be successful. So we decided to— What did he say? He just said— He said, look, these, these things are happening. These companies are investing in the space. The ear pods are going to make audio more accessible. There's all these different trends. And— your experience in brands and marketing and advertising, which is going to fund a lot of the content, and Jake's experience with that, but also his storytelling, his music abilities, your collective networks, those are the makings of a company that could be very successful in this next wave of podcasting. And you need people like that who see something in you and who encourage you and support you and want to help you. And um, Jake and I started off on one path thinking that we would be more of a services business, like an agency where we would create podcasts for other brands and companies. And then he launched Disgraceland as its own company off on the side here, and it blows up, becomes this huge success, goes viral, so to speak. And um, we quickly realized that the opportunity is actually to make more stuff like that, more original content. And it was a dream after you know a decade of doing work that I'm very proud of and I, I did enjoy, um, in that case, creating for other brands, we got to make stuff that we wanted to make that was first our ideas and then the brands kind of came second. Uh, that was absolutely incredible. I'm super grateful for it, very fortunate. And um, that led us to making lots of other shows like what we have talked about with Shiflet and, and others. But Jake's style was, when I say unique, you know, he was heavily researching these stories uh, about artists. He was scoring his storytelling with original music. And the real innovation was that he was telling stories about famous artists. Disgraceland, uh, the podcast, is stories about artists and true crime. So it's music meets true crime. Two big genres, and he put them together, connecting the scene. He basically saw this need where he was like, I love music and I love true cr crime podcasts. And true crime podcasts are blowing up. I'll combine the two. That's right. Right. Connecting the seemingly unconnected. And... Um, 
and he everyone said to him, well, if you're going to tell stories about Johnny Cash and Cardi B and everybody in between, that you need to license the music because nobody's going to listen to a story about them without the licensed music. And he said, well, respectfully, I don't think that's the case. I think that if the storytelling is great and the production is incredible. Who cares? Who cares? It's about the emotion. If I use original music to bring you into the story more so, you're one click away from hearing their music. You know where to get that. You're not coming to me for that. You're coming to me for these stories that you might not know and for me sharing it with you in a super creative way. And so he had the guts to push through a lot of people telling him that it was a bad idea or that it wouldn't work without this costly component, and it worked. Did the company ever raise money, or were you able to bootstrap yeah. with the uh, advertiser, or you guys did? Yeah, we did. We we did sort of a friends and family round and uh, modest, and, and we also um, got a very small check from a, a company called Podfund that had started in those early days because it was actually the same guy who had advised us to get into the space who created this um, entity that was going to fund creator-led studios in audio because they saw this big vision and they just wanted to get more people into it. And, and um, yeah, that was definitely a formative component of what we were able to do. There were a lot of our peers who decided to raise millions and millions of dollars, and that just creates a different dynamic for the business. That's okay. That was right for their businesses. Um, we decided to uh, focus on just a few smaller rounds and to try to build it in a little bit of a different way. And that's something to really think about. If you're going to do a startup, um, you know, what is that vision? Can you, can you get it off the ground? Can you prove some things? Can you um, get some leverage by having some wins under your belt before you go out? And then it also creates optionality. If you start to get that, that traction, you might not have to raise, and then you can keep more control and run it at your own pace and on your own strategy. So um, different paths all work depending on what you're after. Makes sense. Okay, we're coming to questions in just a moment. What's it like having a co-founder relationship if you read about startups and you know if you look at what y combinator always says startups are so much more likely to succeed when they have a co-founder or someone else involved my company it's just me i'm a solo founder it's a lot like a marriage or a pretty serious relationship i feel like jake might be an opinionated guy i don't know why i feel that way but i just get that vibe what's it like balancing that and what's the relationship like working with him and now you guys have been together for six years working on this company so clearly something's going right yeah, I think it's uh, about mutual respect, really. And we had that experience, as I said, working together prior. So we knew what that was like and a repeated theme. But these experiments that I could look at as an experiment, having worked together. And so I knew a bit of what I was getting into. And he did as well. And we respect one another's skill sets. And we overlap in certain areas. But we also have areas where we're both a lot stronger than one another. And so uh, we balance how to collaborate, when to defer to the other, and it's, it's a great partnership. I'm very, very lucky, and I, I agree with that sentiment that having another person, because there are ups and downs. Business is very challenging. Life is very challenging. Um, it, it really all sort of combines because, you know, you, you come to work in the morning, you don't take off your hat of whatever was going on before that. So the humanity of, of life finds its way in there, and you need someone who respects that and has similar values in that regard. Um, so finding that person to help you through all of those ups and downs in life and business is, is really, I think, important and something I would definitely look to repeat 
uh, you know, in the future if I do another business. Makes sense. Okay, you're a big time startup CEO. If a college student wanted to reach you with a cold email, what would be the perfect cold email to get your attention and you know get you to grab coffee with them or hop on a Zoom or whatever it is? It would. It's very simple. It would be an email that referenced some of the things that I'm working on or I've done or I'm interested in, which is widely available on the internet. So if you know I see that someone actually took an interest uh, and had a genuine passion for something that I felt like I could contribute to, then I'd certainly correspond via email and reply, most likely take a Zoom or, or even a coffee. But yeah, it's just about... Um, and this is kind of a classic PR thing too. It's like, you know, research enough about the person you're trying to reach. And it's, you might think that it's it's disingenuous, but, but it's not. Like if you wanted to reach out to that person enough in the first place, then you would be interested in checking out their stuff. So um, I think it's just about having that uh, personal touch that says, yeah, I, I took a little bit of time to reach out to you. You're not just one of a hundred emails that I'm blindly throwing out there because your name came up on some list. There's a little bit of a myth about the student card, which is people are so much more likely to meet with you purely because you're a student. And the further you get away from being a student, it sort of goes away. Is there any truth to that? It, let's say the cold email is the same. Are you more likely to meet with someone who's currently a student than someone who's maybe, you know, years out of college? Point is, is now the time to be sending cold emails? Yeah, I think I think that there's certainly something to that. And look, I learn a lot from these conversations. I, I pride myself on, on trying to be open to as many of them as I can. And I always walk away with something. Uh, I always feel good if I see a smile, like I'm seeing a few right now, and I feel like a little light bulb went off and, and there might have been a spark and someone you know, took that to whatever it led them to next or gave them the encouragement that I've been fortunate to receive from other people. So, um, you know, I, yeah, I think, I think, look, Generally speaking, now is as good a time as I know. You, you interviewed Seth Godin, uh, marketer extraordinaire, business person who, who I admire. And he always says, like, you know, today is the best time. You know, like yesterday was the best time. Today, today is, is the yeah, next yeah. best time. You know, I also love his, <laughs> his quote, which is, if you wait till you're ready, it's probably too late. That's right. That's the, uh, okay, we're going to open it up to some questions. Somebody's got to have a question. Okay. And we also have some t-shirts here that we're, that we're going to give out to the first three people check check okay we're back okay you ask you first of all let's make sure you have a question before we throw you a t-shirt it's oh, come uh on. i trust her, it's, uh, I trust we, her. we trust her well yeah. hold on. let's see if it's a good question yeah. here we go <laughs> all right okay you're all only right. getting one t-shirt sorry yeah yeah, yeah. all right so two questions okay i have a how long your podcast episode should be and the other question is how do i how can i make money uh off of the off of like subscribers like how like i don't really know how to Okay, so for the record, the question is, how can you make money with a podcast from subscribers? And also, how do you describe, how do you define the length of your podcast? How do you know how long your podcast could be? And let the record show she got her t-shirt. All okay, right. Yes. Back to you. So, so the second part first, th there's no rule to the length. It, it has to be what you feel works. You can experiment. There's no reason why the first one can't be shorter than the second one, or you might have a cadence where every week you put out two and one is a long deep dive and one is a short catch up before the weekend, let's say. So you can do any format that you want. Um, and in fact, breaking that convention, I think is a good idea. I will say, if you're just trying to hook people for the first time, seeing five minutes 
might be less of a barrier than seeing an hour because people like to finish things. And so if they feel like they could finish it in five minutes, I think you might get a little more uptake in the beginning. As far as, uh, you know, how do you make money? You said it, subscribers. That's an interesting one. Um, our industry is primarily supported by both advertising. So just like in any other medium, people paying to advertise alongside certain content or subscribers. People are paying direct to the creators. And the way to get people to pay you as a creator is the same thing as, as an artist. Um, to have patrons in any way, that's why it's called Patreon, it's, you know, is that you're giving some value. Right, so who is that audience that you are creating for and how can you give them the most value that, that you can give them through that five minutes that they're listening or however long it is? Great question. That's how they're gonna, that's how they're gonna be motivated to pay you. Okay, I saw your hand go up first too. Uh, well, I have a couple questions as well, but I'm gonna make them brief. So the first thing is we're going back to especially the brands and building your brand as a student and more as a um, professional. Um, so what was the what, what were the best ways and the best strategies that you used to make that transition and another one I think is, is a lot more important you really talked about and went more into detail about the different relationships and a lot of the friends you have especially in, in the business how did you how were you able to separate your mutual and like like brotherly like love from them and them and their and the professional relationship I think the you know there's no there's no one single path so trying lots of different things coming out of school is going to benefit you and uh, again don't feel like because you take that one job that now you've set yourself off on a path that can't be changed M more likely you're gonna have many fits and starts and you'll change careers a few times so just don't uh, you know lower the stakes a little bit and and know that you could try something for a little bit but give yourself a shot we were talking about this before as well like there's this great book designing your life which uh, talks about before you make some giant commitment that is going to be years long like going into a grad program or going to law school see if you can find some ways to experiment with that that might take you a couple days or a week so you can learn whether or not it truly is something you're interested in and you can really apply that kind of lens uh, that idea of experiments to anything so that as far as early days and career and getting you something in terms of relationships uh, you know I don't know that you you try to separate things from personal and professional other than to realize that everybody's human, everybody's going through stuff and you want to empathize with that and be real and connect with people, but also that, you know, you want to make sure that in the business setting that, you know, who are you working for? What are you doing? What are you trying to achieve? And you have to have those goals in mind, set those goals or know what the goals of the company are and that you're working towards those. And, and then I think it's just common sense, you know, boundaries in terms of relationships and things like that. Um, but otherwise, I mean, having friends at work, if that's what you're kind of getting at in terms of that boundary, like, that's great. Like, it's cool. You want to like who you're working with. It's going to be hard. You're going to need to respect each other. You're going to need to really like being around one another. So. Love it. Great question. Two questions. Okay. So anyone in the back? Who's in the back that has a question? We see you. There's a t-shirt coming at you if you're in the back. And we got my man here. Okay. You're up. Uh, seeing as though you are 
clearly someone who has overseen many and created many successful podcasts. Ha have you noticed any similarities between the podcasts? Because they're all different. They are, you know, mainly based around music, and that's kind of your forte. But have you noticed any similarities between said podcasts that kind of led to their success? Yeah, that's a great question. One specific thing is a uh, frequency of publishing. So in order to build the habit of people listening and, and to your content, to your podcast in this case, publishing it on a regular basis really helps with that. So we publish Disgraceland now actually three times a week with this bonus content that we do around the core, more heavily produced content. And um, that's a trend that, that I've seen happen a lot and really does support growth and success. We're going to come to you in a second. Do not leave this class and think to yourself, oh, my God, I missed my opportunity to ask Brady a question. This is your moment right now. No regrets. Here we go, right here. Did you have a question? That's yeah, a good question. That's a great really question. great question. And I'll go back to that definition of creativity. If there's something really unique that you're putting together, that's, that's usually a good formula, um, that connecting the seemingly unconnected. And so, yeah, we try to look at the landscape of other shows and figure out where there might be an opportunity to create something that, that doesn't exist. And then at the end of the day, we do have to ask ourselves, is this something that we can confidently create around a topic subject matter that we actually know about or let's get somebody if we want to do that let's collaborate with somebody who does know that so that we can create the best product that we possibly can okay we've only had questions from the front row right back there our man who wants to start a podcast but has not done it yet this is your moment right here let's hear it let's hear it baby I think you just asked a solid question with some good confidence. I think you're better on the mic than you think. Just, just a hunch. But let's hear it. I totally agree. And simple answer, but just do it. Get the reps in. Just like practicing anything, just get some reps in, and you will get better. As Zach said from his first episode to 150-plus now, you just you learn and you, and you get better over time. And then secondarily, do it around a topic you really love. You just describe some that you are passionate about and that you've worked really hard to become an expert at. So talk about those things and do it a lot. Another tip is if you're if you're going to do like an interview style podcast or a conversation podcast, something that I did is just listen to a ton of podcasts. And I always take notes about how other people podcast. So, for example, you, you know, you may or may not agree with this politics, but Joe Rogan has one of the biggest podcasts in the world. You should listen to that podcast and figure out what he does that makes him special. You should listen to Call Her Daddy, which is one of the biggest podcasts in the world. What does she do that makes her special? I always listen to Howard Stern if you have the SiriusXM app, or you could listen to Bob Lefsitz has a great podcast. He's a music reporter. There's tons of great podcasts. Find great podcasts. And if you listen to Joe Rogan and you go, oh, I hate Joe Rogan, figure out why and don't do that in your podcast. Yeah, I love that, Zach. I, as to take off on that, I think you, what you'll find is that there are certain formats and formulas that you can borrow from 
and then put your own content, your own specific focus onto and, and marry that. That's a good way to start to experiment. All right, who else? Who else? Who? My man right here. So what percent of your guys' audience listens to the whole podcast from beginning to end? Yeah, it depends on the show. And thankfully on something like Disgraceland, we'll have 85%, uh, give or take, um, listen-through rate. And that is really important for advertisers, for generally just keeping your audience engaged and, and growing. And now with the analytics, you can see when people drop off and you can try and learn from that. But in the early stages, don't overanalyze things. Don't get hung up on the data too much. You want to see some signal. You want to know that you're getting some positive feedback and follow and continue to do those things and testing and learning. But um, careful not to get too hung up on that in the early days. Definitely. Good question. Who else? Right here, my man. Uh, what time have you found to like, be the best like, um, podcast link? I think we yeah. asked that too. Just Yeah, just yeah. in terms of like, I think it really depends on the content. You mentioned Joe Rogan. His podcasts are hours and hours long. That's a format that works for him. There's other shows that are built around being these really snackable five-minute listens, and that works for that thing. So it all depends on what your content is. Yeah. And it, it's just creative experience. Something like my podcast has been very consistent where I've done every episode has been about an hour and I've wanted to experiment, but I just haven't because I'm sort of in this habit. But like I, I could, like I could totally, like we've even talked about this, yeah. about trying different, different formats, which I haven't done, but I would almost give the advice that you should, especially if you're starting out. Yeah. It, it just reminds me of something we were talking about earlier as well in terms of the idea of when you do something and when you put it out there into the world or ship it, as, as Seth Godin likes to say, you know, you're, you're planting that seed and you just never know what it might lead to. For example, with your podcast, 150 episodes, 140 different people that you've talked to. Anytime I search for someone like Seth, who I admire through other avenues, I'm likely to come upon his interview with Zach. And so now I know who Zach is. And then all of a sudden I see someone else and it just creates this um, it creates this serendipity that doesn't happen if you don't have these things out there sort of working for you you've heard the, the phrase like working for you while you're sleeping like your song is out there somebody's discovering it while you're sleeping you're not playing in front of someone at that moment but it's still it's still doing something it's connecting and same thing happens with uh, podcast content yeah and searchability I think is going to get better and better in audio content and so you know if you're, you know, I just listened to your podcast with um, the lead singer of Old Dominion. And, you know, soon I think what's going to happen is, and it's starting to show up, when I search for Old Dominion on Spotify, I am going to see your podcast interview right next to their music. Now, all of a sudden, there's a whole new layer of discovery, new opportunity to uh, create connections around the content that you're creating. The other thing, too, because you asked about monetizing is I've made so much more money from opportunities that have come about because of my podcast than I have actually from my podcast. So whether that's getting invited to speak on different panels or meeting someone or someone reaching out to me who hired me for a job or a freelance thing or something, it's like I've made so much money adjacent to my podcast where my podcast doesn't make as much as those other opportunities are. So I think that's another reason to start a podcast is to build your personal brand, which will have value down the road. Absolutely. Did you have another question? Yeah. Question and a comment, I guess. What I want to say is the thing about my podcast, it's an artist interview series with Lily Theater Company. 
and we're trying to do something where we're not just about putting the con like we interview different artists out in the community and beyond but the problem is uh, nobody really knows who we are because we're a very small organization so I'm trying to figure out how do I reach more people do I need to put more money into putting Google ads up or do I need to you know find some partners yeah. or, or what, what would you suggest because yeah. it's a nonprofit a couple of, of really practical tips there one can you arm your guests with very easily shareable content once they're once you've recorded with them to say hey here's this piece of content like put this out there tell everybody be proud that you are on our show and one really in the weeds thing that you can do there is ask them to send you a picture of them that they like so that when you're making that you didn't just grab one from the internet and they're like ah oh, that's an old headshot i don't like that i'm not going to share that going to share it right it's a super in the weeds but it's a real thing um I would say another thing is to find other shows that speak to the similar audience and then ask to do a cross promotion with them. Say, hey, what if at the top of our show or in the mid-roll break of our show, we run a little ad and we tell our audience about your show and you do the same for our show. And now you've cross-pollinated audiences and because you picked one that you think had a similar interest, there's a likelihood that some of those people are going to come over and hang with you. Something else I've seen podcasts do is like a feed exchange. So I've seen podcasts, like let's say you found another podcast with a similar vibe to yours. You could be, hey, I'll drop a full episode on your feed and you could drop a full episode on my feed. And you do an intro where you say, hey, I'm going to introduce you to a new podcast. Here's one episode. If you like the podcast, here's the where to check it out. I've seen a lot of podcasts. Yeah. you even done that with, pro like for um, uh, Disgraceland, you've done that for Badlands to promote yeah. your other shows, yeah. right? Yep, you can put a full episode in someone else's feed and swap that. You can put just a trailer in the other feed that's either pre-recorded or like we talked about having it uh, be recorded by yourself so it feels like it's coming from you personally. Like, hey, I really love this other show. If you like my show and you're hanging out here, you should probably go check that one out. The other thing you could do is a collaborative episode and literally like mash up your two shows, do it together and put it in both of your feeds. So we did that with Disgraceland and a hugely popular true crime show called My Favorite Murder. And they have a massive audience and they did this great little like graphic of our two logos next to each other. They put it out and like people went nuts and it grew both of our shows. So um, yeah, collaboration. Love that. Our man right here. Yeah, listen to their content. Make sure you really know it in your in your email to them. Make it clear that you're a real fan, that you know what they're about, and that you've listened quite a bit. And then it depends on what you're asking. If you're asking to do kind of like a promo swap like we're talking about here, then you know be mindful that if they're a lot bigger than you, there's not a lot of value you can add in that way. And so maybe you're just trying to interview them on your own show, and you're not asking for them to promote you yet. But invariably, you know, you hope that they do. Uh, you know, that would be that would be one approach to doing it. Another thing you could do is create an episode or some content telling people why you love that thing. They're probably going to notice that, tag them in it, and if you do it really thoughtfully, then they might reach out. Um, uh, we've heard lots of stories of things like that happening. Yeah, and yeah, there's also um, there's 
you know, I've done some pretty crazy things to get guests on my podcast. There's a big um, radio personality in Nashville. His name is Bobby Bones, who has the biggest country music morning show. And I pulled a series of stunts to get him on my podcast, which ended up with taking out a billboard in the middle of Nashville, asking him to come onto my podcast. And he came on and we did it. It was great. Um, so I'm not encouraging you to do that or not to do that. But if there's someone that you really want, you can get creative and kind of figure it out. Um, everyone always says I look like Jack Antonoff, which you may or may not think. So you can go on my Instagram. You can see that I started recreating photos of Jack Antonoff until he came on to my podcast. And he ended up telling me to stop doing it. And then I did. But it, it could have worked. You know, it could have happened. And now he knows about your podcast. And now he knows about my podcast. So it's on him. And really. Um, so just get creative. But I think the biggest thing, especially you realize this more and more as you get out of college and you start entering the real world, is... I remember being in school, especially at Berkeley, and holding these people up on a massive pedestal and thinking like, oh, these people are gods and they're untouchable. No, no, no. Everyone is so reachable. You would be surprised you could reach through an Instagram DM or finding their email online and emailing them. Or, you know, there's a million ways to get in touch with people. And especially as a Berkeley student, if you write a good note and you have a good purpose and a good cause and you just phrase it right, I think you'd be really surprised how many people you can get in touch with, especially if you email like, 10 people, one or two of those people, if you do all that in a thoughtful way, they're going to get back to you. And, you know, those are good numbers. And, and if you are clearly working on your own craft in a public way that they can see and see a little bit of themselves in you, that's going to help too. 100%. Yep. So don't be afraid to reach out and just experiment too. Like you might send some emails and nobody gets back to you. Screw them. They weren't, you know, it's not, who cares? But you'll send some emails and people will get back to you and that could be, you know, those could be some great relationships. So there's a great book, by the way, that I always recommend. It's called The, Col the Third Door. And I know this page number because I've referenced it a lot. Page 43 has a cold email template and a whole set, you know, a whole section about how to write a cold email. The Third Door by Alex Binet. It's a great read, but especially for the cold email template, you should check it out. And the other thing that you can do is, you know, think about that question that you were going to ask that individual you know, you might you might be able to just find that now, and you can also kind of go into their sort of family tree of inspiration. So a lot of people will talk publicly about how they learned what they learned, who inspired them. You know, if, if you're following Zach and you want to connect with Zach, you might see that one of his favorite or his favorite professor was Ralph, and now you connect with Ralph or vice versa. So there's there's a lot of ways to kind of get that out. You just do have to get creative with it. By the way, not to throw Ralph, not to, you know, expose him, but if there is someone you're trying to get in touch with, you might want to go to Ralph or a professor at Berkeley and say, I'm trying to get in touch with this person. Do you happen to know them or do you have a contact or do you know someone at the company that maybe would also know them? And there's a good chance, like the professors at Berkeley, they've been in the industry for a long time, amazing resources. Like, you know, my professors at Berkeley made amazing connections for me and they still do. I still occasionally reach out to some of them and see if they know people. So you know, there's tons of ways to reach out to people. But, and I love the story of, of how that happened. That didn't just happen for Ralph as a result of being a good person. It happened because he took initiative and brought people together. And what he created with his management roundtable and group in Boston was really unique, and it provided a lot of value. And it was something that has grown over many, many years. So when we talk about, you know, trying things and putting things out there in the world and convening people around your ideas and building community you that's the kind of thing that happens after once you find the thing you really want to keep doing Zach's a great example of that you know building this whole community around what he loves what he's interested in and as he described creating real business around that uh, is an awesome model to follow and it's one that 
you can all do around whatever it is that, that you want to create around. 100%. I think we have time for one more question. One more question. Do not leave this class and regret not asking this question. It's going to haunt you for weeks. I told them all how to email me. How do you know? That's true. So they all know that. Come on. We got to go out with a question. We got to go out with a final question here. Ralph, take us home, baby. You know, uh, I remember being a 20-year-old student. And when people like you would come in, you know, Brady, and it says CEO next to it with a nice picture and a lot of success and all that stuff. You think that you're just doing great things and counting money all day. Which he is. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> uh, how, do you, how do you handle time? How do you handle depression? How do you handle anxiety? You're a husband, you're a dad, you're a CEO. And like when I was 20 years old, I was overwhelmed by where I was. And now that I'm older, I'm still overwhelmed. How do you deal with all the stuff coming at you? I think, personally, I have uh, a practice of getting up a little bit earlier before my son and my wife. And right now, it's uh, about 5.30. And, um, and I, I did that for a long stretch. And then I got away from it. And I've gotten back to it recently. And... Uh, every day I do that, I, I'll, I'll journal a little bit, I'll meditate a little bit. Um, some days I'll just read a little bit, but I've found that that time feels like I'm stealing time, like I'm, like I'm creating time that didn't exist and no one's asking me to do anything. Um, it's just this very odd phenomenon where, especially now that we're so distracted and pulled in different directions by our phones and the world is so challenging in so many ways, um, that time is just for, for me, and I think no matter what you do with that time, finding it for yourself at, at every age, uh, and, and then seeking out things you can do with that time that fill you up, and you know, you may have heard the cl cliche around burnout and you know, the car, and for some reason people think they can just go, 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 and never stop to refuel in their life, but if you think about that with a car, the, like you can't argue with reality. The car is going to run out of gas, and it's going to just stop. And that really is how our, our bodies and our minds are if we don't take care of ourselves. So I think my message would be you know, just really take care of yourself. Take that seriously. Seek out help if you, if you need that. And seek out the type of practices that, just like seeking out the projects that give you energy, seek out the practices that give you energy, um, no matter what that is. For me, you know, it's those couple of things that I listed. And, uh, and then similarly, it might sound like sort of the opposite of that, but don't beat yourself up if you, if you skip those things for a while. Um, that's not helpful either. So that's, that's how I'm dealing with it right now. And um, it's a constant evolution. And like you said, nobody has it figured out. There isn't a moment where you hit the real world and all of a sudden, uh, it's it's easy that that doesn't exist. So also coming to grips with that and and just doing the best that you can, um, as trite as that can sound, it, it really is the best advice. Um, so yeah. Brady Sadler, everybody. The company is Double Elvis. Hold hold the applause. The company is Double Elvis. The podcast is Disgraceland. The podcast is also Badlands. The podcast is also Shred with Shifty. 
and there's tons of others. DoubleElvis.com, you can see all the shows. These are quite literally the biggest music podcasts in the world. Millions and millions and millions of downloads. Collaboration is King is the name of the book, which I read this week and I loved. Like I was like, oh, shit, this is like a real book. Thank this you. is like really informative, really great. I listen to the audi- Audible version. That counts too. Brace, I, what have we left out? Have we left anything out? How covered do we, it all. No, thank we've you. We've covered it all. Yes, thank you so much for having me on the show. Um, yes, love it. Let's go, baby.